Good afternoon, everyone. This is Andy Caruza uh, with Nacho Nacho, a place where you can manage, discover, and save on SaaS. Today, we have the co-founder, Roland Polzin. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Well, you pronounce it Polzin, but everyone says Polzin, so <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm notorious for butchering names, so <laughs> Polzin. I'll get it correct from now on. <laughs> so we got Roland Polzin uh, here from Wing Assistant. It's a great company uh, for outsourcing uh, personal assistance from across the world. And he's here to give us uh, you know, a quick elevator pitch on what his company does. And then we love to pick his brain about the world of outsourcing and how it's an opportunity for many companies these days to think globally and grow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you want me to give a quick elevator pitch, what I give you is that we provide typically small and medium-sized businesses, so startups, but also executives and, and teams of organizations. Uh, we provide them with remote talent. Right. So if they want to outsource or delegate any tasks, typically recurring tasks where they would typically need uh, either part time or full time team member, then Wing Assistant would be exactly the right decision because we can supply them with high quality talent that that's affordable at the same time uh, to outsource things like social media management or general data entry tasks, uh, et cetera. Great. Right. Pretty good elevator pitch. I've actually yeah. had an elevator pitch in an elevator before, and I had maybe two, three floors to do it, and I was able to, I was able to rattle that off. But you know, definitely, I've been in that situation <laughs> where you're like, okay, do I have ten seconds or thirty seconds to really get the point across? Uh, so I think yeah, yeah depends point. on the building, right? How much, how far up the elevator is going to go? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I live in New York City now, so <laughs> some of them are pretty tall. So some people don't want to talk that much. So <laughs> they might get out a couple floors early. Yep. <laughs> Um, so I got another great question for you. So why shouldn't companies be afraid of outsourcing today? Uh, why would they be? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, look, I know there is a, it's a big bit of a stigma uh, when it comes to outsourcing. Uh, some people feel like it, it's stealing jobs from, from like their home country or uh, it has a big stigma around quality about accents and like all these things that uh, people are afraid of. But most of these concerns aren't really valid uh, when you are partnering with a, with the right company, uh, right? Obviously, obviously we are the right company, uh, but uh, to be honest, there's like, there's a, a, quite a few companies out there that do a really good job, right? And so it really depends on what type of work you want to outsource. And uh, yeah, why, why, why would you be afraid, right? If you have stuff that needs to be done uh, and you can do it remotely, uh, then outsourcing is the best way to go because you can find high quality talent uh, at an affordable price uh, that is highly motivated, right? So you basically are expanding your, uh, the pool of labor you're tapping into and that only has advantages. And uh, I guess, what are some uh, things that you look out for when, when uh, trying to outsource and find the right person for your company? Um, what are some key indicators that this might be the, the, right, uh, the right personnel that you would want to bring on to your team? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, again, it always depends on the use case and on the type of work or task that you want to delegate and outsource. And it really, like doesn't it doesn't matter whether you outsource it to someone that is in the Philippines or in Latin America or in India or that's living in the same city and just dialing in for remote work 
uh, it all comes down to the job description, right? You have a certain job that needs to be done and it doesn't really matter who, who does it. It just matters like how well you have thought about what that job is and how well you are able to delegate this. Yep. So a lot of it really comes back to what you're saying is how, you know, how you structure, how you structure the relationship with the person. If you have a clear idea for the type of the type of employee or assistant that you're looking to hire for your team, that only helps you narrow down and pick the actual right person. And then more importantly, guide them to be an effective employee for yeah. you than just leading them off to their own devices. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, especially with remote work, right? So when we're talking about outsourcing, it's like, at least in my book, it's always remote, right? And that's that's kind of like the key to it. If you need someone to be in the office for you, <laughs> if it needs to be a receptionist that physically needs to sit there, uh, it, you can't really outsource it unless you're having uh, a robot sit there. So yeah, but if you're thinking, okay, well, that could be done by someone uh, who's sitting somewhere else, then you can do it. And then really, uh, when you think about how you can make this successful, it comes back to how to lead a remote team uh, effectively. And there's a couple of things that you can do to encourage com conversations and to improve communication. Uh, that's, a, I guess, a, a little bit of a different topic, but yeah. it's it's no rocket science there. All the content is out there. And as, as soon as you get used to that over a couple of weeks, most people are uh, after COVID anyways. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really no big deal. Yeah, actually, you brought up a good point there. You know, I would love to, uh, we, we talked earlier about how we had a bunch of questions. We might dive in a little bit deeper into yeah. something. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, maybe some tips for people uh, for how they could better structure those relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, would you like to elaborate on some of those? Yeah, so obviously at the, at the baseline, it depends on your personality and on, on the personality of your team and obviously the uh, company culture. However, there's a couple of things that I always like to put forward to make sure that you're at least on a path to success. Um, one of them is that you uh, delegate with SMART goals. So be specific, um, uh, delegate something that's measurable, give attainable goals, realistic goals, and then have a timeline, right? Give a deadline so that actually the other person that you're delegating your task to knows exactly what to do and when when to complete it by. Um, and then another thing, it's kind of a, yeah, you could call it a, a work-life hack. What I have my entire teams do is daily stand-ups. In the beginning of the day, uh, make a small post. We're using Discord, which is sort of a, it's basically like Slack, like a chat system, but it applies to any other communication system, can even be done like over the phone if you want. Um, to give a stand-up in, in, the, in the sense of they're telling you, okay, these are the five, six, seven bullet points, projects, tasks they're working on this day. Mm -hmm. I always have them uh, put a link to the respective ClickUp task because uh, it's our task management system. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, they know what they have to do. I know what they're working on so I can make sure as a manager, as a leader, that uh, no one is walking in the wrong direction and everyone's on the same page. And then at the end of the day, uh, they post uh, what, what, which tasks 
they completed, which tasks are still ongoing, whether there was any anything unplanned that has happened and whether they uh, experienced any optical obstacles. So right, even if I'm not able to check in with every single one of them during a day, because I might be busy, I might be uh, on a webinar with, with Nacho Nacho, um, I, I'm still aware of my entire team of what they're doing. And if there is ever a need uh, to communicate, I just hop on a call um, ad hoc, and that's totally possible at any time. Great. Yeah, I love uh, ClickUp for a task management tool as well. Um, I've used it a lot before in the past. Um, mm -hmm. How do you how do you structure the uh, daily standups? Do you try to keep them organized around like thirty minutes or? Well, actually, like my stamps, like what I was just referring to is completely like it's written out. It's digital, right? So uh, for, for me or for my team, it's really just a message in the beginning of the day in the chat system and at the end of the day. Uh, we do have a weekly team meeting where we do the same thing, but on a weekly basis where everyone gives updates as to what have they achieved during the week? Do they have any questions? Do they have any requests? So that everyone is on the same page on a broader, on a more high level, if you will. Great. Yeah, so you mentioned a lot of, I mean, obviously you know the space very well and you're a pro at it, but uh, and you mentioned a lot of great ideas for how people could better manage their outsourced talent. Um, mm -hmm. What are some issues that maybe some, you know, some, some companies or business managers that might not be used to, to managing outsourced talent, what are some issues that you've seen in the past that a lot of companies can expect to come across um, when hiring outsourced uh, outsource labor. You mentioned one up front, which is not clearly communicating the job role, not having a good you know task management on a daily basis, not keeping your communication in line. Uh, what other kind of issues do you see uh, from managing outsourced talent that leads to failure? Yeah, very good question. And you you just hit on some of the big points already. Uh, another, <laughs> another one I would I would mention is. And that applies especially to sales personnel, right? If you want to have an SDR or an outbound sales caller, like those people that uh, where you would expect a certain performance, um, uh, it, it becomes really significant because that relies on processes and on a on a system in the on the back end in your company uh, that these. That, that, that this personnel can basically tap into to be successful, right? You need good leads. You need a CRM that they can utilize. Uh, they ideally need an email system where they can uh, send, out, send out email cadences after the first uh, touch point, et cetera, right? So if that isn't set up and you get a sales caller, then you're almost, you're almost certain to fail with that person because if that person can't rely on, on existing processes, um, there isn't really a lot that we can do. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> um, so you guys are a very global thinking company, and obviously outsourcing is a very you know mm -hmm. important part of that entire pro that entire shift towards a global economy. Um, what other what other uh, opportunities do you see? Uh, uh, what other tips do you find for success in a global economy that companies should look out for? Um, you know, pertaining to maybe how they you know localize their marketing campaigns and. Um, I guess what other tips would you have there for a company that's starting to think globally, not in terms, just in terms of hiring, but everything else too? Yeah. I mean, so like just in for the hiring part or outsourcing part, uh, I would just iterate that being globally oriented enables you to really pick better talent because your talent pool, if we, if we just use the US as an example, uh, if you want to hire locally uh, and you're in California, then 
the wages you have to pay are just astronomical. Even if you go broader and maybe find talent in Ohio where low, where wages are generally generally lower, you'll still double or more uh, an average salary for the same talent in in other countries in the in Latin America or the Philippines, for example. So yeah, keep that in mind uh, that that you'll be able to really really get better talent at a much more affordable rate. But uh, in, in other regards, yes, um, if you market globally <laughs> instead of just in your local area, I would encourage every executive or entrepreneur, startup founder to think very deliberately about what it is that you're selling and if, if the market exists in those other countries in the same way. Uh, if, if the market, if there is a market in those countries, then think about, okay, how is culture different? How are laws different? <laughs> How are uh, maybe marketing channels different? Because even though it might seem that, let's say, even between the US and Canada, things are, some things are drastically different, even though we might assume. They're much uh, nicer. <laughs> exactly, yeah, they're super close, same language, uh, share a border. Uh, their, their currency is called dollar too, so. <laughs> But there are there are significant differences, and we learned it the hard way. We started advertising, for example, on uh, Google AdWords uh, with just the same campaigns, and we quickly realized that we had much lower performance uh, because the competitive landscape is much different over there. So yeah, yeah. just keep that in mind. Great points. Um, so tell us about your company and how it was founded. Where did you get the idea, and do you have any really interesting? Behind the scenes stories from the early founding days. <laughs> uh, we yeah we we started out um, being quite a different company to be honest. So uh, when when my co-founders and I met on campus at UC Irvine, uh, that's basically how we um, w where we developed the the first iteration or the previous iteration of the current uh, business model. Back then we were a concierge app that would complete tasks for busy individuals, right? So Andy, you as an executive, uh, you have not a lot of time because you're working all day, but you still have like these random things that you that you need done, right? Maybe dry cleaning, or maybe uh, you forgot to get, get some groceries, or maybe you wanna have someone just plan uh, a date uh, with your girlfriend for next, uh, next weekend, and you need just uh, a couple movie tickets bought and, and all done for you. I mean, there's no rocket science, right? You could do it yourself, but it's 10 minutes there, 20 minutes there, 15 minutes here, and it adds up quickly. So maybe an hour or two every day, you would have to ha have to basically maintain your own life. And our, our goal was to take that off your plate and be the one-stop shop app that would do everything for you. Uh, we, uh, our business model was essentially to work with third-party apps like Instacart, Fandango, OpenTable, and then we would leverage um, artificial intelligence to understand what each request was and then automatically route it to those third-party providers. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there's always uh, a, a fraction of the request that AI can't really parse. And so for that, we had that human component that would supplement that. Okay. And um, that went great. We launched on Product Hunt in February 2020, I believe. Oh, wow. Uh, we're yes. number one product of the day. <laughs> uh, but a month later, uh, lockdown happened and nobody needed questions or reservations anymore or anything of that sort. Yeah. And so we had to think hard and pivot. Yeah. So luckily at that point, we were uh, going through the UC Berkeley Skydeck Accelerator. 
and we had some time and some capital uh, to make some experiments. And we ultimately ended up uh, figuring out that, okay, we could basically use this do engine that we already built and apply it to a business context. And back then with everyone being uh, working remotely uh, and being out of the office, it proved yeah. to be an actually uh, a pretty good idea. And it yeah, uh, was pretty successful from the get go. That's great. I love how you guys figured out a good pivot and you turned uh, something, you know, something negative into a positive. Um, you know, kudos to your success there. I've, uh, I had a friend actually launch a yoga studio uh, uh -huh. right in, I, I think it was March of, of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> like, the timing, right? So he had to figure out this whole business model of shifting to like doing online streaming for his uh -huh. first company. Um, now he's, you know, now everything's back and, you know, everything's normal. But uh, for about a year there, he really had to, you know, figure out how to make ends meet, which um, a, lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs out there have a similar story. So it's good to see you uh, come out on the good side of that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess uh, failure comes with anything. I guess uh, have you ever had any other experiences as an entrepreneur where you failed, and what did you learn from it? I mean, almost on a on a weekly basis. If I'm mm -hmm. honest, right? You always have things that don't work out, and I mean, it, it's a good thing because if you didn't, if, if you didn't fail, it would just show that you're not trying things and you're, that you're not doing experiments. Um, like if you if you think about like the that period where we between like when COVID hit and when we introduced our existing current business model, uh, there were a couple of failures in there. So for example, we tried uh, first to uh, create a concierge app for Airbnb hosts because Airbnb bookings, even though they were going down, they were still going on, right? People were still traveling and especially for staycations, et cetera, there was actually kind of a new market and having a, uh, a non-in-person concierge seemed to be a fantastic idea. Mm -hmm. So we went all in, we uh, contacted all the Airbnb hosts in our networks, tried to kind of hack Airbnb itself and reach out to hosts on the platform. Uh, we created a, vi a marketing video. We uh, reached out or like created posts on Reddit, on Hacker News, etc. Like really, really put a lot of effort in it. Uh, but then after four or six weeks, uh, maybe two months after really trying out hard and figuring out how we could tweak that, there was just no response. Like maybe maybe two or three hosts said, "Yeah, that sounds interesting," but then they never got back to us, and uh, that was that was disheartening. <laughs> Because we we really thought this is this is amazing. This would work perfectly. We already have the technology built, and yeah, but the the hosts were not ready. Like that customer segment didn't want, didn't see the need for whatever reason. Uh, so yeah, we def definitely failed hard. Um, but yeah, I guess the 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 good thing was that we stayed persistent and just pivoted to the next thing, and uh, that ultimately helped us. <laughs> great. So that sounds like a great tip for other entrepreneurs as well. Um, yeah, I've been in that situation too, where, you know, sometimes you're a little bit ahead of the curve and the market's not mm -hmm. ready for it yet. Um, you know, one of the, one of those curves was influencer marketing, like well over a decade ago, actually yeah. laughed down a pitch. Uh, people said, nobody's going to be a show for brands. So I'm like, people are doing anything for money. <laughs> um, what other tips would you give, uh, entrepreneurs that are looking to launch a SaaS product and what should they look out for when starting a company? Yeah. So worldwide pandemics <laughs> that just pop. <laughs> I would say um, if you have a product already, uh, you really want to make sure that that's the thing that people want. So 
uh, the, the buzzword I want to throw in here is customer discovery. So really go out to what you think are your potential customers and do interviews, like ask them for support, ask them for half an hour of their time, go in with a structured interview where you have questions that you ask demographic questions um, uh, and other questions regarding their behavior and their I guess pain points um, very centrally, and really figure out is your is your is your solution solving these pain points? Are you actually solving a problem for these people? And if so, is your solution that you're developing, um, uh, yeah, posed to do that properly? Mm-hmm. Because what I've seen from from not only in, in our history but also from other founders, other entrepreneurs, is that if you don't really have that alignment. Uh, as to what is needed, then then you will fail sooner or later. You might even <laughs> you might even convince a couple of investors, maybe get a pre-seed round or even a seed round. But if we can't make product market fit happen uh, very soon after, then yeah, you, you just won't be successful. So make sure that you stay in close touch with your customers. That will be my advice. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people think raising money is <laughs> is a success thing, and they you know they'll have like a launch party and all that, but uh, it's actually a liability. You actually have to pay these people back or you should. Um, but yeah, that's definitely not the meaning of success. It's really, yeah, to your point, understanding customers and what their problems are. And, and then you work backwards to find a solution from there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, ideally. Yeah, ideally, right? A, a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes, you know, I feel like fall too, too in love with their idea and they're afraid to, to get that critical feedback from people. And so sometimes they go out to the market and they're bringing out an idea of what they want the world to believe in rather than, you know, invert, inverting that, that equation and actually asking people what they're looking for and then trying to figure out a better way to solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like, sometimes it's fair, right? I mean, uh, a, a couple of things that, that are really different, um, people might be hesitant, right? And if, if you, if you venture out to, to do that, just, I would say, just be aware, it's going to be really hard, right? If you want to change customer behavior or people's behavior in general, you've got to be really good at marketing, at least. <laughs> you've got to be good at, at making people try it. Mm-hmm. And if, if enough people try it, and if you can really um, get a flywheel effect in motion, then yeah, I would say there is a, there is a possibility that you can change user behavior. And those are typically the the solutions that are really, really, uh, really big in the end, right? If you think about Airbnb, like giving other people the key to your house, <laughs> that sounds weird. That was really crazy, like 15 years ago, and yeah. like for some people, it's still crazy. But they they managed Airbnb managed to make that happen and become a billion dollar company, right? So I'd say, yeah, don't don't be afraid if your idea is just like out of the ordinary, but again, like make sure to talk with customers, make sure you understand what the pain points are, what maybe hesitations are and overcome them in one or the other way. Yeah. What kind of tips would you have? Uh, you, you brought up a point about changing behavior sometimes. And a lot of times you're, if your product's truly innovative and it's a new way of doing things, uh, customers might initially be afraid to try something new, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you go about changing their habits and encouraging them to to try a new product without without scaring them away. <laughs> yeah, I'd say there's there's two two points to that or two major points. So first of all, you gotta go for early adopters. You gotta go for people that are curious and they're that 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 are just out there uh, for for the heck of it to to yeah to have fun trying new things that are curious. Okay. Uh, 
finding those people will be hard already, right? So like, I mean, if I if I think back and I wanted to, people to try our concierge app, it was so hard. Like I would, like my personal assumption would be, hey, yeah, if, if someone gave a like an app to me, especially if it's a friend, yeah, I'd spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes just trying it out and giving some feedback, but not everyone is like that. And uh, not everyone is willing to give you their time uh, not everyone is that curious. So finding people that are curious, finding those early adopters, uh, that's key number one. And then key number two is really inhaling their feedback, really, really, really being deliberate about how you tweak the product and make the product itself your marketing machine. If your product manages to get people captivated, if you find ways to um, to gamify certain things, if you find ways to really make it super convenient to um, how to navigate users through the experience, um, then you're onto something. It's super hard. Like it sounds sounds like a, a no brainer, but it's super hard to do that because it's like just a very complex iteration between um, marketing engineering team, product team, and the users. But if you, if you manage to do that and continue to iterate, uh, then that's probably the biggest key to success. Yeah, I love the crossing the chasm reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, yeah, so a lot of times, you know, what, what would you what would you say these product early innovators would look like? Um, I mean, for every company, it's different. People that you find, you know, sometimes, you know, I've seen in the past that your, your customers sometimes choose you. And sometimes you might think that there's a customer and most people will think that you go to market, you have this customer in mind, but that what you might find is sometimes it completely shocks you. Like you might have a completely entirely new type of customer or these early adopters that really pick up your product and start using it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've seen some success cases where, where that happened as well. And I've seen some you know failures where companies didn't listen to, <laughs> to the early users and, and uh, realized that they had a market there and a new opportunity. They wanted to stick too much with you know what they're- 100%, what, yeah. Um, where would you look for early adopters, I guess? Uh, would you look on Product Hunt was a great example. Um, what other what other areas do you would you recommend? Yeah, product, product Hunt, um, certain Reddit channels. Um, you could go um, Hacker News uh, mm -hmm. from like Y Combinator, their, their blog or their news site. Uh, there's a couple other um, forums and platforms out there. Mm -hmm. um, probably like probably a ton that I don't even know about so yeah um google will help you <laughs> find yeah. find that out uh and and then another thing it really depends on where like your personal <laughs> say again oh i'm like where to find early adopters <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and i mean gpt4 is probably smart enough to give a couple <laughs> couple good answers Surprise but other than that like tap into your network right everyone has a network and the better <laughs> the closer your friends the more they're inclined to be those early adopters to so really leverage your own network leverage the network of your of your co-founders, mm -hmm. uh, your family. Um, maybe you're at a university and or you have contacts to university and have like a student population who would be willing to uh, to do certain things for you, maybe for a free meal, right? That, that always works really well. So be creative about that would be my advice. And then and yeah, uh, think about how to how to incentivize those people uh, and make it make it uh, um, yeah, make 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 it an experience for them. Yeah, and for a lot of these people too, you don't even have to monetarily incentivize them. A lot of people just like being a part of something cool or having it first, yeah. right? And uh, you know, a lot of business models like you know, product hunts kind of built on that that uh, 
that, that kind of an experience. Same with like Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, you know, try a new product they've never heard of before, <laughs> risk some uh, cold, hard cash up front just to be a part of something new. Yeah, absolutely. And those those platforms are good additions. <laughs> uh, great. So uh, what what are your favorite books that you're reading right now? I, I obviously read Crossing the Chasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what I really like, I often read online articles. So it, uh, I would say it doesn't always have to be a book. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a bunch of good online articles out there. Um, I currently read actually, uh, seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey. Um, I'm, I'm not done yet, so (laughs) can't give the final review, but, uh, yeah, I'm about halfway through and it's, it's really good. What I like about it is that it doesn't, it's not really like a, uh, like a, one of those books that tell you like, hey, this is a this is a to do list, and if you check all of these, you're suddenly a better manager. It really goes back to okay, what are the roots? Like, how yeah. do you have to change yourself? Um, how do you become a principled leader? Yeah. And what are the principles that you have to follow? And that ter- turns out to be a very deep question, right? And to reflect upon yourself, to reflect upon your values, and what you what you really want to go after, uh, sort of a vision, uh, that's all interrelated even with company culture, right? So if you ultimately go into building a business and and have other people collaborate with you, there will be a company culture and that will be especially coined by the co-founders. So it's super, it's super essential that you yourself know about that. So yeah, that, that would be, (laughs) that's the book I'm currently reading. And I I think uh, is a pretty good read. That's a great point. I love that you brought up the uh, concept of a foundation, right? And every every company starts that way with a you know good foundation of team culture, a good vision for where you know where they want to go, understanding their customer and you know why they why they serve their customers. You know, even a house, right, starts with a good yeah. foundation. If you don't, you're going to be for it later on. <laughs> um, yeah. What's going to be worthless? Um, so what? Uh, I guess tell us more about us. Uh, tell us more about Wing Assistant. Why should people choose your platform over? maybe some other ones that they might've heard of out there? Yeah, uh, great question. So first of all, we specialize in uh, a couple of service tiers, including graphic design, social media management, executive assistance, um, sales roles, or even general general virtual assistants, mm-hmm. um, which would include data entry, basic research, customer communication, et cetera. Um, so yeah, if you, if you have work to delegate in those areas that we specialize, that's a good indicator. And then secondly, we don't do hourly engagements, right? So if you want to um, delegate stuff where you need like someone five or seven, 10 hours a week, um, there's other options out there like Magic or Belay or Zertral, like those those typical virtual assistant companies. But if you really want to have essentially an additional team member, either part-time 20 hours a week or full-time 40 hours a week, uh, and you don't want to hire, you don't want to go through all these loops, then we're the perfect solution because we do all the hiring for you, all the selection for you. You if, Optionally, you can still interview uh, certain uh, a couple of candidates if you'd like that, um, but uh, we do that for you. And then um, what we do is we have a software uh, um, suite or like a platform where you can um, do task management where you can communicate, where you can store your passwords, where you can, uh, where you can basically um, do all the delegation uh, in a one-stop shop. We even have a feature we call it Wink, which is sort of a it's a video recording software like 
like Loom, uh, where you can record a certain process uh, with your screen and then explain what you need done. And then, uh, yeah, you upload it to the platform, including the other all the other information that's uh, pertinent. And then, yeah, the assistant or your assistants in the background will then be able to, uh, to manage that. And on top of that, we do have a very extensive quality management system uh, that's a, a mix of human and technology uh, quality assurance to really make sure that even if there are like any any problems to begin with, we're typically already fixing them before you realize or before you have to reach out to customer service. Uh, so yeah, we we focus on quality and. Overall, that yeah, if you if you put that all together, our value that we deliver is much higher than of any other of any other competitor out there. Um, so that would be my pitch as to a way to go with Wing Assistant. That's great. I really appreciate your time again today. I know we're running a little over. Uh, sometimes these webinars do because uh, you know I'm a talker and you know uh, there's I'm a talker too. <laughs> together and it's uh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, you know, our audience learned a lot today. Um, there's a lot of great insights and uh, tidbits out of this uh, conversation. And this is why I love Nacho Tuesday. You know, we get to have these great, uh, great conversations with other founders and, uh, you know, learn from your guys' experience, right? How to be successful outsourcing, you know, talent and growing your company in 2023. Uh, so we got a big year ahead of us. Hopefully uh, we'll see, a, you know, a better uh, economic situation going into 2023. But as everybody's out there looking to grow their companies, uh, think about outsourcing with Wing Assistant. Uh, you can get it today in the uh, Nacho Nacho store, uh, our marketplace, for 10% for a 10% cashback discount. Uh, so feel free to check it out there. And if you have any questions, you know, feel free to send it over our way, and you know, we'll, we'd be happy to pass this along to Roland and his uh, talented team over there. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Andy, for having me. <laughs> Appreciate it. And, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Yeah.